Hey everybody, welcome back to The Mound Visit, the catcher's only podcast show. I'm one of your hosts, Tyler Goodrow, and on behalf of Chris and CJ, we want to say thank you again for tuning in each and every week as we bring to you more and more about the catching game today. Our next guest, he is an avid fisherman. You'll get to hear all about that. Stay with this one. This one is a long one, but I tell you what, there's nugget after nugget after nugget, and you can feel our next guest's passion just ooze out as he loves to talk about the catching position. Before we jump into any number six, we always have to give a shout out to our great partners over at All Star Sports. Want to join the Focus team? Head to their website, www.all-starsports.com, where they have you covered from head to toe, training mitts to their Pro Elite Series. Remember, move forward and rise above. Okay, here's any number six. Hey there, we are back and it's that time again. We are headed to the mound to take another mound visit, this time with another former Miami Hurricane catcher, another former big league catcher, and now current Miami Marlins major league catching coach. And I need to throw this one in there. He's an avid fisherman. Please welcome Eddie Rodriguez. Eddie, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Appreciate having me and um, appreciate you throwing the fishing in. Um, You know, there were some cool things that you threw there in front. But uh, probably the one that I'm the most proud of is fishing. I, I really enjoy it. It's a good getaway. And, uh, um, you know, it, it definitely keeps me uh, entertained and it keeps me with my thoughts. That's, that's probably not the, the safest thing either. But, but it's, a, it's a great getaway from, from, you know, the game that we love. But sometimes we need a little escape from it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we have back-to-back hurricanes. And, again, I'm excited about this one. Not to plug my hometown in here, but again, of Omaha again, but I'm gonna. Omaha is also home of a AAA Royals, um, so we have some professional baseball here, but when it comes to baseball, everybody thinks of the College World Series, and my team has always and will always be the Hurricanes. So, all right, let's get back on track here. So first we had Yaz, now we have Eddie. Chris, what do you think about maybe in the future of doing a dual show with the two of them and maybe make it all about the U? And maybe we can probably get Charles Johnson on the call. What do you think about that, Chris? Well, if we could get CJ on there, maybe uh, put out a call to Corey Fabregas and maybe Ooh. even Mike, P- Mike Piazza, an old uh, hurricane too. Yeah, it would be, that'd be a lot of fun. We'll throw some, throw some digs at a certain school up in Tallahassee, but uh, <laughs> that'd be uh, a lot of knowledge. Well, I mean, you know, we can't forget we got Zach Collins. There's also ah. Zach Collins uh, dangling out there and, uh, Right before me was Eric San Pedro. We got Greg Lovelady, and we have we we were fortunate there for a little bit. Um, uh, we had a we had a spell of of guys that uh, you know did have Jake, done great Jacobson things. Jacobson was another one, right? Ross. Yep, Russ Russ Jacobson. Yeah, there's. I mean, obviously Yaz has been the one that um, has had the most fruitful major league career from. Well, and along with you know Mike and 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 CJ. But I'm talking about, you know, um, presently. And um, so so those guys, I mean, it, it's really cool how, you know, uh, a lot of the guys have kind of come from the same place that have gone on to have, you know, good college careers and extend their careers to the pro level. 
Oh. It's, a, it's a different, it's a different breed. Um, now I was, was turtle down there when you were there or was that, was that before? Was he turtle still in was, Miami or did he yeah, already turtle. leave to FIU? Uh, yeah, um, he was actually, if I'm not mistaken, he was at LSU when, um, when I, uh, when I was at Miami, uh, okay. because I think we, we played them in the world series in 2004 and I think he was there. Uh, but yeah, turtle was gone. I had a laser, um, yep. I had JD, um, I had Greg Lovelady, um, Gino and obviously coach Morris, my first year. Um, and though, I mean, I, and I guess as we get into this, um, there, there's definitely, uh, people that I'll, you know, bring up that have kind of impacted me, um, starting at that time. And even prior to that, some of the impact that, that some of these people have on, on, on us when we're probably the most impressionable, right? Like, when we get into college, it's a great maturing stage. And I think, um, I think what makes you do it is you have to balance baseball. You have to balance schoolwork. You have, and you have to balance a social life. And I think, I think that's really what makes you grow up, not necessarily, you know, the other facets of it, but it's just being able to balance these things and still not miss, not miss, uh, you know, a lift. And any, any of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, um, but that's the hard part about college. How can I, you know, get my homework done? Uh, still go out and have a good time and still make workouts tomorrow at six o'clock in the morning, right? How the heck do I do that? And then hopefully I could buy myself time all the way till, till Thursday or Friday right. so that on the weekend I could, I could go and let it loose and really have a good time. I mean, we could kid ourselves all we want about what the college lifestyle is, but I think the, the key is right balance, right? And I think anything uh, in moderation is fine. I think it's just when you lose control of it, that's when the issues come, right? Absolutely. No, I couldn't have said it better. That is, that is perfect. We could already make the show all about the you, right? And, uh, but first off, I want to wish you a, a happy Cinco de Mayo. We're recording on Cinco de Mayo. Uh, so, ¿cómo está, hermano? Todo tranquilo. We're, we're, todos somos mexicanos hoy. We're all Mexican, baby. <laughs> I was going to try to throw some more Spanish at you, but mine, mine's a little rusty. So. Yeah, Spanish can get you in trouble every now and then if you, if you don't really know it. Trust me. And, English uh, has that gotten was, me in trouble. That was me. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about, oh, and I can speak English, it was, and it's gotten me in trouble. So we're good. I'll, I'll tell you what, man. Something, something that I mean, I I don't think it just yet makes me feel old. But when I was in college, Yaz and I had the same agent or same advisor, whatever. Um, and um, I would go um down to Miami Springs where he was going to high school. And we would uh, practice together. Um, and, and this is back, I mean, shoot, you're talking probably 2004, 2005, somewhere around there. And, um, you know, what he turned himself into has been, I mean, shoot, it's, 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 it's impressive. And, and he's found a niche, not only defensively, but, you know, he's been able to capitalize on, on what we're valuing from an offensive standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, you know, currently in the game. So he's able to to, he's been able to capitalize on both ends where his tool set dictates exactly what the market is currently bearing. So it's a, it's, you know, it's, it's a great situation to, you know, what he's done and what he's accomplished over his career. The one thing that we, from listening to him now, they always say, and you can probably attest to this, once you get out of the game and you start teaching it to younger kids, to older kids, you're going through experience, breaking stuff down, that's when you really start to learn and they say, boy, I wish I would have known this when I played. I probably would have lasted a little bit longer or gone further. With him, 
he was just he was right out there. He goes, I know how to receive. He goes, I got that stuff figured out. And, you know, from what I see in other aspects of the game with other people, it's great that they want to do it, but I know what my hands are. I know how to do it. And I don't need to do all this other stuff. I'm just doing my thing. And, you know, a lot of guys, they, they don't, they don't have that when they're playing. They usually wait till they're retired and they sit back and realize, geez, I wish I would have done this. Or maybe if I did, did it this way, I would have had a little bit more success, but he's, I mean, he's right in a sweet spot right now and he doesn't need to change for anything. Well, it's so funny because we were just talking about that prior to it and, we're going a little bit off track of, of what we want to get to, but uh, I remember saying to both of you guys um, that I thought that he was just, he's very confident in the way that he goes about his business. And I know we'll probably talk about Yaz a little bit more here, but uh, I was going to say that I'm very speculative that we're, this call was going to go long, and I hope it does, because there's going to be a lot of good information that we'll be able to drag out of this. Um, one other thing that I want to point out is we, we do have two former Hurricanes on the call. And we also have two all-star training mitt designers on the call. And so I know, Eddie, we're going to get into your brainchild here in a little bit. Um, but first thing that we want to fire off at you is our rapid-fire blocking drill. So as opposed to leaving this at the end, Chris and I thought we would each take turns, ask you some questions. Could be one-word answers or multiple answers, your choice. But use it as sort of an icebreaker, like a lightning round, so to speak. So I'll start us off here. And, and, and my first question for you, Eddie, is, what is the biggest fish you've ever caught? It would have to be a tarpon. Um, I mean, I've caught some big sharks. Sharks are down here dime a dozen, but um, probably game fish, uh, shark. Um, I mean, uh, a tarpon, about 140, you know, 150 pound tarpon. So that was pretty darn cool. Awesome. Chris, you go. All right, let's see how, you, how well you knew your, uh, your old coaches from Miami. Which... Uh, which former hurt or current or former hurricane coach is a closet Buffalo Bills? I got no idea. You want to know? Should I throw him under the bus? Yeah, hit me. All right, all right. So JD Artiega is the I biggest did. closet Buffalo Bills fan you'll ever meet. And he, he probably, I came down there with a huge banner that said squish the fish, and I left it to him when I left. So he still probably has that at home. So, yeah, Yo, there it is. I didn't know that. All of South Florida that. knows that Coach JD is a, is a closet. He's a closet buffer. And I'll tell you what, that guy changed my college career and probably my entire life. Um, and it happened my sophomore year. Um, and I know, once again, I, I figured that this is going to kind of happen a little bit. But um, sophomore year, I, I earned my position. Alex Garabedian comes, uh, turns down um, a very uh, hefty amount of money from the Yankees to come to us. Um, Alex shows up on campus. You know, they're, they're asking me, are you transferring from the media and everything like that? And at that time, I really had no concept of what the word transfer meant, right? Like, I'm like, look, man, I want to wear green and orange. This is what I was a kid. I, I used to watch the, the games on the, Sun, on the Sunshine Network from my house, I go, I'm going to play here. And um, I was fortunate. I earned the position going into the spring, but literally first game against FIU, second swing I take, I blow out my back. Long story short is Garabedian. Um, so I, I'm, I'm out for about two or three weeks. Garabedian is playing. And look, Garabedian can rake, um, absolutely rake to the point that 
Um, and I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll give up the, the ending here, but he ends up going to Charleston, college of Charleston. He ends up hitting like 400 each of the years that he was there. But that year, JD, um, I come back and JD goes and, and he sat me down because I was then upset because I wasn't playing then. I, you know, Gary's playing, he's hitting 300, we're winning. And JD looks at me and goes, and I'll, I'll, I won't, you know, use the explicit language, but he's like, nobody feels sorry for you. Nobody cares. We're winning games. We're Miami. We're going to keep winning. You could either go after, get after it and go work, or you could just bury yourself and, and, you know, be done with us. And that day changed, potentially changed my life, right? I mean, you, we don't know what's going to happen, right? But th that was a, personally for me, was one of those. And I think if we all go back, you know, you guys, you go back, you have these life-changing moments that, that like, they pivot, you know, they, they shoot your life in a different direction. For me, uh, JD did that to me um, at, at that point and, and just, you know, completely pivoted my and catapulted myself to like, hey, let, let's go. It's either you're going to sink or swim because we're the you, we're going to keep winning. Right. It's, you know, at that time we were, you know, top four, top five team every single season over the, you know, a four, five, six year period. So it was like, we're going to keep winning, man. It's either you, you figure this out or you don't. So go along with that. My next question for you, Eddie, is what is your best memory for playing at the U? Um, best memory probably has to go uh, be when we went to, um, uh, went to Mississippi Super Regionals 2006, and they beat us game one. And then we beat them back to back uh, to go to the World Series in a very hostile environment. Um, uh, guys were getting spit on. Uh, they had uh, Cuba spelled with a backwards K in the outfield. They had rafts that they were going up and down to the point that, so Zach Kozar was the shortstop. And then Zach Kozar ends up being my teammate in Cincinnati and Dayton. And we ended up being um, great friends, but me and him almost went at it at the plate when we were uh, in college. And then we get to pro ball, whatever, everything's good. And then it was funny because last year, you know, he's with the Angels and I'm here throwing him BP and we're both looking at each other dying laughing because it was like, it was like this big turn of events. Like we're here going at each other's throats. We're then teammates to then now I'm, I'm throwing him BP. So it was kind of a very neat experience. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> so did, did you play any other positions besides catcher? Nope. I, I, no, nope, couldn't do it. I wasn't good enough to do any of it. So no. What is one thing that you would change about the game that it's played today? And it could be, it doesn't have to be about the catching position. It could be about baseball. What's one thing you would change or revert back Ooh. to, I guess. That's a very interesting one. Um, because I mean, there, I think that there's right. There's, we could sit here and we could nitpick at, at different things, but um, I think is the potential to get away from making the game black and white, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I think any of us that are active on, on social media, uh, you know, active in the different, um, making the game very black and white um, is, is very difficult because we have Aaron Judge and Altuve in the same league, and they're both uh, MVP candidates, uh, you know, any year, right? So, and, and that's just two different examples, but you have uh, William Asadillo 
with the with the twins and then you have like a Trey Turner right like you know the spectrum is so insane that I think um one of the things we have to be careful is that we're making the trying to make the game very black and white and I think that the game has a lot of gray in it and as we if we keep losing perspective of that I think we're going to further disconnect ourselves from the players I like that great all right so favorite minor league manager and what level was it at Ooh, favorite minor. It, it would probably have to be alpadrique triple a um we had a great thing going with the with new york and triple a in 2015 16 17 and obviously you're seeing all those kids flourish right now and i call them kids because that's what they were to me and and that's what they are to me today and and when I talk to them, I still see them as, as that same thing. But um, those teams, it was really cool, man, because our 2016 team, our starting lineup uh, would have um, – and definitely I wasn't in it. Gary would be behind the plate. I would be catching bullpen somewhere in left center field. Um, <laughs> but, but that 2000, uh, 2016 team was impressive. Opening day 2016 team, you're talking – you know, Ben Gamble, Aaron Judge, Jake, you know, there's a Jake Cave. I think he's creeps up into us during the season. You have uh, Greg Bird, you have Seve, Sesta. I mean, the, the, the names go on, but it was really cool because we also had this group of like four veterans, five veterans, and um, it was Jonathan Diaz, Donovan Solano, Pete Cosma. Then you have like a guy like um, Wilkin Castillo that, that filtered in there in 2017. So we had this little group of guys, and it was like almost when you came to us, because AAA, as, as you guys know, AAA is probably uh, the easiest level to be the most sour at. Like, it is, it is a very sour level because some guys feel like they need to be – they should be at the big leagues. Some guys – you know, like everybody – nobody's happy in AAA. There's nobody that's happy. And, um, and our manager did such a great job. Of, and I, that's how Padrica did such an amazing job of keeping everybody like it was like it was like a dad like you didn't want to let him down he didn't scream didn't anything it was just like and when he said when we got off the bus and he was like hey we have early work today and anybody that's played minor league baseball knows that like when anybody says early work you're like hell no I don't want to do early work <laughs> it was like nope including Nick Swisher when Swish was with us like nobody that was there and, I mean, the cool thing about it was, yeah, we were the Yankees and, like, you know, we're supposed to keep, keep this, like, you know, this, like, uh, look about us or this whole mantra about us. But it was cool because we had we had uh, a spike ball tournaments. We had, uh, like, everything that we did, it was weird scenarios where in minor league baseball, you it's a, really a team. And nobody who came in, in and out of that team, if you, if you got sent up, if you went up, it was like, great go kick ass. We don't want to see you again. But then when we got somebody from double A, it was like, Hey, um, this is how we do it. Uh, just join the party. And it didn't matter if you were, you know, Clint Frazier or if you were, you know, a, a, uh, a role player, like it didn't matter who you were. You just, when you got to that level and that group of guys, you just, you did your job and, and, yeah. and Padrica demanded it and the veterans. And it was funny because, the veterans, we really didn't have to do much uh, where these, I mean, you had a guy like Aaron Judge that was destined for leadership, you know, so it, it was a, a great atmosphere for sure. So who was your favorite catcher growing up? And did you try to model your game after that person? 
Um, I grew up a diehard Marlins fan. I mean, I used to sit um, sit on the TV, watch the games on um, on TV, and and watch Marlins games and umpire Marlins games uh, behind the pillow. I would put a pillow in front of me and umpire Marlins games. I know I'm, I'm maybe letting out a little bit too much here for uh, <laughs> for me to catch some grief, but that's what I would do. Yeah. And and it would it it would. And I know it was a short time that he was with us, but it was Pudge. You know, I grew up a huge Pudge fan. It's kind of cool because uh, when I was at Miami, he actually um, he actually gave me. Uh, and this thing is, I have two two little two um, mementos that I keep. I'm not a big memorabilia person, but Pudge gave me this when we were at Miami, and the mitt still, you know, it easily has. You know, it hasn't been touched. I've never played catch with it. I mean, this is the year that he had won That's the awesome. MVP. So he, you know, so I grew up diehard, um, diehard Pudge fan. Um, the other memento is actually uh, Gary Sanchez futures game hockey mask. Um, oh, that's for but, sure. Um, but it's, it, you know, like for me, uh, Pudge was was everything. And and then the fact of being able to play catch with him and and do those things. I mean, it was for from my standpoint, it was surreal. That's awesome. You got to put that thing in glass, Eddie. <laughs> I should, right? I sh- I definitely should. You're right. I actually I told the other one is I told because uh, I had the futures mask um, that Gary wore. I don't know in like 16 or something. And every time that um, that we're talking or whatever, I'm like, dude, I'm I'm probably gonna sell it. I need to get a new trolling motor for my boat. He's like, <laughs> the funny thing is. Anybody that knows Gary, uh, like this guy's easy going. So he's like, he's like, sounds good. I'll, I'll, I'll get you another one. I'm like, nope, I'm not, not letting go of this. <laughs> wow, that was actually going to be a, <clears throat> a question of mine too. One of the, um, you know, I, I have a few balls that you know I collected throughout the years, but I was going to ask you what was going to be your most, uh, you know, the coolest piece of memorabilia, and if you would have wished that you would have collected more when you played. The interesting part is that the most, um, my most precious piece, and and it's I don't even consider it my piece because I gave it to my mom, was um, my first major league at bat. I hit a home run, so my mom has that ball, and I don't consider it mine. And I do have the bat that I hit it with, but it says Yonder Alonzo, so I don't have it put up anywhere because I don't need to. I don't need to give Yonder any more props, um, you know, with how much he's he's helped me in my life and my career. Um, so I don't need to give him any more props, but I do have the bat, but the ball, my mom has the ball and, um, you know, but, but besides that, you know what, when I was with New York and you're in the, in the locker room, you know, uh, McCann Mac, who's a great human being was right next to me, uh, Teixeira and A-Rod are, are the next two lockers, the other side. I mean, like, you know, like those things is like, you look back and it's like, maybe, maybe not like, you know. Um, you know, you have Duque, who's a, I mean, you know, the names could go on from, from those guys that are right the, at the next um, mm-hmm. level. I mean, even now with being, I mean, my manager is Donnie Ballgame. I mean, like, that's, you know, like, it's funny because I don't look at him like that, but that's Donnie Ballgame. Like, that's right. a big deal. And um, I probably should. I probably should do more of that stuff. But uh, the guy that was um, infamous for that uh, is Chris Perez. Chris has an insane amount of um, of memorabilia everywhere. That's smart. I mean, I when I was with the Yankees, it was, <clears throat> I mean, I was starstruck. You, you'd see Reggie Jackson, 
you would, uh, you know, I, I remember I was in the cage early one morning, uh, just hitting off a tee and, and Mattingly came by and, and was hitting with me and talking about hitting for power and everything like this. And I'm sitting there thinking like, you're a contact hitter. But yeah, I mean, you get, you get starstruck. And then even before he passed away, Yogi Berra, you know, be walking around there. It was just nothing, but it was like something so surreal. Um, all right. My, my other question then, this is the last one. How many times have the Seminoles won the college world series? <laughs> <laughs> yep. They haven't, they haven't done great, man. They haven't done great. Um, it's, it's been interesting. We've, it, you know, playing those guys, you know, and, and I'll probably, you know, I don't, I don't know that I'll keep referencing back the the college days, man, but the, that, that feeling of true dislike of the opposition, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I can't, I've never, I've never felt it. Like even in pro ball, you know, you have like your, your one guy or whatever on the other team that you're like, you know, I don't have, I don't feel much for this dude, but in college, like, I sincerely remember, and maybe that was our edge, and, and I had sent a tweet out uh, about edge and, and, and all these little things, but, like, we truly disliked the opponent. Like, yeah. I just I, – I genuinely didn't care for anybody that we played on a human level while we were playing them. Like, and, and I think that all of us in the team felt the same way, right? Like, I think we were so steadfast on, like, what our goal was. And to tell you the truth, if, if I told you that the goal was winning, you know, I think winning's a byproduct of all this, right? I think right. I think winning is a byproduct of, you know, like the big word that's used, culture and all that. Like, it's just a byproduct of what we were feeling. But I think, like, every single guy on that field, and, and I think it's kind of what tends to happen when teams come together and win a World Series or win a right. you know, minor league championship. And any of us that have been on, on championship-winning teams understand that – there's a different like thing and like, you know, winning is the byproduct, but it's yeah. like you enjoy coming to the ballpark. You enjoy going and having a beer with each other after the game. You enjoy talking about baseball. You enjoy it like it. And, and that's what that was. Like we were all on a mission to, I'm not gonna lie to you, get drafted, you know, like we were like, yeah. Like, I mean, in my head, I, I was like, yeah, dude, I'll be by 24. I'll be in the big leagues. I'll play for 10 years. Like, that's how I thought it. I'm not going to lie. That's I, mentality. I, yep. I was completely wrong. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I completely missed. Yeah. Um, but that's where our heads were. Like, there was never yeah. a doubt in my mind that I was going to play for 10 years in the major leagues. And I think if you talk with um, any of, of people successful at any business, like, you, you tend to have to have that vision because the ride is hard, man. The ride sucks. I mean, I mean – I think any of us that play this game have been punching the gut so many times and you just keep on going, right? Like playing an indie bar. I remember like seeing guys, we had a guy, Joe Anthonson, like little dude, like mm -hmm. Bro, this guy could rake. Yes, this guy could, could yep. rake. I played against him. Yep. Yeah. Joey raked. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, this guy is hitting 360 in indie ball. No team. He's, he was, he had no speed. He had no arm. He was a second baseman. So he was, you know, he didn't, check the the scouting boxes but this guy raked right and and this guy played for the game making 1100 bucks a month for the love of it yeah. like yeah. that's what he and and that's you know so so i think like that that's kind of like right going back to that mindset deal mm -hmm. no and i think it, you know to, to jump on that you you mentioned something about culture 
you know, culture is something we talk about. And, and I read somewhere, I think it was a book called Culture Code. They talk about culture is not something that you are, it's something that you do. And, and it just, it, it, you can just see it in Miami. And, you know, I think something, I saw something come out recently in, in social media. Um, you know, Long Beach State for the longest time had a lot of uh, big leaguers that were being produced out of there. And I think Miami has since surpassed it. And, you know, you can look at it, you guys are the factory right? You guys are factory of pushing out guys left and right um, every single year. Um, and, and then jump, jumping into the big leagues extremely fast. One of the last questions I did have, though, from our rapid fire blocking drill here is, so when you played at the U, you guys were a Nike sponsorship team, and now it's Adidas. So what's your play on how Adidas has kind of went back to the throwbacks? Are you a Nike guy or are you an Adidas guy? I, you know what? Look, I'm so here's the bad part. So Blake Ticotti <laughs> that played with us at uh at Miami yep. is uh, he's with he works with Adidas and um, I'm probably the most over outfitted catching coach in all of pro <laughs> baseball because he's given I have more lo- more shoes in my locker that I will never go through. <laughs> And they're all Adidas, yeah. and they're all sick. Like, but if I if if I have to relate the U, and and any brand is Nike. Like, you know, unfortunately, you know, and I, and look. So the 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 catcher's gear. I mean, the the uh, the uniforms and stuff. The throwbacks that they're going to. Yeah. Those are gorgeous. They're. I just think that they'd be a lot cooler if they had a Nike logo on it, and it has nothing to do with the brand has nothing to do with anything. It just has to do with what I'm used to. And, yep. and, and I look, I wore New Balance and Pro Ball because they were hands down the most comfortable shoes. And I wore all-star gear and, you know, Franklin batting gloves. But if it's the U, for me, there needs to be a big check. And the, 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 the uniform and the gear and all that stuff has to be as loud as possible. That was, that's what I was used <laughs> to. That's what I grew up on. It's funny going back to my my uh, obsession in in for the U right coming through Omaha. You guys had the, the Nike bat, so I had to go get an MX five bat because the U did it. And this is a, a little side story, not to talk about me at all because we want to talk about you. But you guys or it was Ryan Braun's freshman year, and they would come up to Rosenblatt and work out. And it started pouring down rain, and Ryan Braun actually gave me his MX-5 bat. It was pretty sweet. It's pretty surreal. I still oh, have it. What, it's not in my office here, but I still have it. So I'll tell you what. Ryan Braun had the most of any piece of equipment ever of any player at Miami. <laughs> he, we were teammates for two years, uh, 14 and 15. And if you went to Bronny's locker, I'm not kidding you, there was at any time – 10 to 12 pair of Nike batting gloves given to him by GM that had maybe been used once or twice. And like, <laughs> it was, it was insane. So I don't, Ronnie was one that probably, and look, those MX fives, those walls were as, as thin as possible. Oh, yeah. You put the barrel, <laughs> you put any part of that bat on the ball in the ball. T- oh <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, they were legit. Um, See, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. The bats that we had were things called Eastern Black Magics, and that was it. <laughs> those probably had probably comparable. Those things were freaking that. loaded. I'll tell yeah. you. Hey, that. but those, those were, were negative. Weren't those negative fives though? 
they were light as a feather and they, I mean, it was like hitting with a, with a spring. I mean, we would, I mean, balls just jumped off those and then I, That's clubbing, baby I made them illegal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so I, I, and you know, we're talking a lot about you and your career and everything, I guess for, for us, Eddie, give us a background in you, tell us some of your career highlights and your playing experience and then go into you, now your coaching experience. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of do the best um, to kind of keep it short just because, you know, man, I've, th there's a lot that I, and I think all of us have our, our little trajectory, right? Our, our kind of a Carmen Sandiego uh, wagon ride, right? Like we, we all have our ride and we all lose our, 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 our oxen on the way there. Like we all got those stories. But, but for me, man, um, you know, I came from Cuba on a raft when I was eight years old. I'm, I'm literally the, the Miami guy that, came from Cuba, you know, like I, I kind of check all the rafter, you know, the, this boxes, I, I check all of those. Um, but, uh, grew up in Miami, uh, grew up going to Miami games and, um, and being one of the baseball buddies. Um, and, and when I was in, you know, in little league and I told my mom, um, I, I grew up, I mean, after coming from Cuba, we had nothing. So we, we had to start from, from zero. And, um, it was kind of insane, but at, I think I was 11 years old. I went to a Miami game and a kid talking like a kid would. I told my mom, I'll play here one day. And she was kind of like, what are you talking? Like, you know, it's Miami, like school. I mean, you know, my parents were, I mean, I lived in a trailer. Like I, I you know, there was no money anywhere. She, she's like, all right, well go ahead and do it, but you're going to have to do it on baseball. So you know, I go to Coral Gables High School, um, and that's where Yonder and I are teammates. Jonathan Diaz, who's been a major leaguer, um, you know, uh, my best friend, that's Mike Davila. Like, all this group of guys that are really good. Last Gutierrez, who was a mental skills coach with the Red Sox last year, was our head coach. Like, just a really cool group of guys um, in terms of how they, they put it together. And, um, and then I ended up going and committing to Miami. Uh, went to Miami for three years. Uh, obviously, great memories. Uh, very fortunate to be around some great players. You know, John Jay, Yonder Alonso, Jamal Weeks, Danny Valencia, Chris Perez, the, the Ryan Braun, Gabby Sanchez. Like, the list kind of goes on. Um, also starting kind of the trajectory of, of, of learning catching, right, um, and, and that process from, from the guys that were there. Um, but then – um, I was drafted by the Reds in the 20th round. Going into that year, uh, there was forecasts of me going in the top, whatever, X rounds. Um, it didn't happen. Uh, scouts thought that my shoulder was blown. It was actually, I had a partially torn UCL that I played through the whole year. Um, and they thought it was my shoulder. So my number one tool uh, was my throwing and then my defense. And then, you know, my hitting was kind of a sprinkle in, but I was considered a top three round guy for, you know, for, for all purposes, right? And, and um, I was crying on the bed of, of where I grew up. Um, I was crying on the bed draft day. Um, and then the, the Reds call me the next day and they're like, hey, we'll take you with the 19th round. They don't take me in the 19th round. They take me in the 20th round. And... Um, you know, I end up telling them, like, hey, unless you get to this number, I'm not signing. Um, I'll come back. I'll be a senior. Not a big deal. End up 
they end up finding the money. I end up signing. I spent three years, a big awakening for me. Um, I spent three years uh, with the Reds. And then I go to independent baseball. The Reds let me go. Um, once again, I'm, I'm balling outside the locker room with Joe Aral. Um, they're like, you know, kind of looking at me and, 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 and being like, hey, dude, I was 22 years old, I think. So after that, I go to El Paso, Texas and, and go and play there. And um, I do well, but nobody shows me any love again. I'm like, man, like, I know I could catch. I just hit like 260 with like eight home runs. Um, and the American Association as like a 23-year-old, 22-year-old, like you figure a team will need somebody. Well, whatever, they don't. I go back the next year to another team in the American Association. I hit like 270 with like 13 and nothing again. Um, so the Padres take me in as a favor for that guy that was my head coach and was at that time still with the Red Sox but in a different position. But I, my the favor was I was like, hey, this guy will be the extra guy to catch minor league bullpens. What ended up happening was I was skilled in receiving and catching and being behind the plate. So as soon as I started catching guys and doing things, um, it started at Randy Smith, who was our farm director. It started to catch kind of – and he told me this later on. But it started to catch his eye, and he's like, who the hell is this guy? Um, but then also they would play me. I would catch the three or four pens early. I would catch pens of the seventh inning, and then I would catch the last two or three innings. Well, somehow those last two or three innings I would catch, it was like it was like uh, double homer, double homer, single, throw guys out, block. It was one of those surreal things where you're having kind of like an out-of-body experience. So I, you know, I earned my spot with them. They, you know, they start to um, – obviously think 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 of me a little bit more than just a depth guy and they start they actually send me all over the the place that year so I was like the super utility catcher where they would send me to every level triple a uh anywhere from triple a to high but um I finished up in high I ended up with like 12 home runs or something or eight home 11 home runs or something in a very short span the next year um um, he is now with the Cubs in the front office. Shoot, uh, Jason McLeod goes, hey, you've turned yourself into a prospect. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't even know what that means, what the hell the word prospect means. So I, I come back, but we, we, we had just traded for Yaz. So Yaz, the golden boy, had to be the starter <laughs> in AAA. So then the trickle-down effect starts. And the trickle-down effect – was the fact that I was supposed to be the double-A starting catcher. Well, that all trickled down, and then I was back and high. I end up getting – going through the season, I get called up to the major leagues because Yaz messes up his oblique. Um, <laughs> I get called up to the big leagues like August 8th or 9th for a very short spurt, and that's where I had my, my first at-bat deal and all that. And then um, I played with them for a little bit longer, I think a couple more years. Then I went to the Rays, and then – um, I get let go by the Rays like one month into the season. And I'm like, okay, like I didn't see this coming. But once again, my buddy with the Red Sox goes, are you ready to coach yet? And I'm like, give me two weeks. I'm like, hey, man, I'm done. He, um, he goes and, and ends up um, – I ended up interviewing. I get the job, and I'm the fourth coach 
and uh, I'm uh, Tom Kochman. I'm his bench coach, kind of like in, in the GCL, because Koch doesn't know how to work in a computer, has no clue how to, like, work any technology. I mean, an on-off switch is t- tough for him. But you talk about a baseball mind, that's a baseball mind. And it was great because that's the one of my first examples in pro ball of a coach that loved, loved the players. And, that, and, and look – it was also an easier year. We ended up winning the GCL championship. We beat New York at it, but we had Devers, we had Kopech, we had we had a really good group of players um, that won that championship. But then after the season, the Red Sox offered me like three or four different positions within the organization. Um, but I had it stuck in my head that I wanted to manage. I was like, look, uh, and I told Ben Crockett, who's a you know still a friend of mine, and I go, Crock, I'm if I'm not managing, I'm not coming back. Um, and it, it wasn't in the plans and maybe I, I don't even think I was equipped to be a manager. Um, but I, I was going to go be a, um, a facility manager of a compost facility, completely leaving the game. And, um, June 5th, uh, January 15th of that off season, I'm in Puerto Rico for my honeymoon. And, uh, I get a call from, uh, Billy Epler. And Billy Epler goes, hey, are you interested in coming back to playing? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know, Billy. Like, let me know what the deal is. And he gives me my offer. He gives me everything. And it's like, oh, crap, that's a lot of money. And, you know, I tell my wife and she's like, look, it's up to you. And I'm like, look, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I want to do this. Um, she's like, well, think it through. Whatever you make, we'll do it. I end up uh, signing with them. And the cool thing about it was I got to me, I think it was all by design of like how this whole world works. Like, right. Like I, I think it was all by design because that's where I got to meet Josh Paul and Josh Paul is to this day. Um, not only uh, is he a mentor to me, is he a, a, like a guiding light of a fixture, a, a, a something to lean on, like, but he's the best catching coach in baseball and nobody knows about him. And it's by design. And, and part of, of it is this guy is all about the players. And that's when I met him. And that's when um, the reason that the Yankees signed me was um, over the last few years, and it's funny, doing research today on some public stuff because I, I don't feel comfortable kind of talking about our internal data from the Marlins or any organization for obvious reasons. Um, the reason that I was – that Josh went and signed me was I was one of the best receivers in the game. Um, and – this is 2000. So it's funny when everybody's talking about receiving in 2019 or 2020, because New York had a receiving metric in 2014. So like anybody that's trying to reinvent the wheel now, and like you guys are, will get to understand a little bit more where some of my cynicism, like cynic attitude comes to sort to, through some of this, because Josh Paul had uncovered all of this seven years ago so so you know it's that was where I I learned right and then what the biggest tool he taught me was hey why do you think you're so good behind the plate and like I I didn't know and I think it goes back to to Chris's point like uh like maybe by the time you figure out what you did right and what you did good it was too late Mm -hmm. and Josh caught me that I still had two years of playing before I, you know, so I started trying things on myself. So for example, I started trying things like the receiving thing. 
I knew I was good at it, but I had no clue why. So I'm like, all right, why am I good? So then I started looking. We had so much data with New York that I could cipher through things and go like, all right, give me the five best catcher at catching this pitch in this location at this time. And I would, I would get it. I actually, people joke with me because I had more clearance into the New York database than, <laughs> than some of the coaches, but I would go in there and, and it was like, like there was, and, and, and it's funny because Yaz was really good. And amongst the other things he does receiving wise, but he was really good. Um, at the inside part of the plate or the our glove side part of the plate. But I noticed that. So every, so I started looking at Yaz cause he was very good at catching the inside uh, part of the plate. And coincidentally, every time he went in there, like his right knee dropped, I had no clue what it did, but I started dropping my right knee because I'm like, if he's doing it. And that's why, like, even when I'm, you know, putting content out there, I'm like, man, like, I want to do it like the best guys. I want to do it like the lion. I don't want to do it like, like, you know, maybe the leopard or maybe like the middle of the road, like, like attack animal. I don't want to be that. Like, that's not the, that's not what I want to build. I want to build the dudes. Right. Or, or at that time it was still my career. I was, I was trying to build myself to continue to, you know, earn for my family and get to the major leagues and things like that. Um, so fast forward to 2017 after the year, I'm like, I'm done. I'm not playing anymore. I'm absolutely done. Like, I'm done playing. I'm, I got to play every day. Um, I behind the plate, um, things went really well at the plate. I struck out like 60 or 50% of the time. It was, it was pathetic. <laughs> um, the number of times that I struck out, like almost, it was like 130 something times and like 250 at bat. It was pathetic. <laughs> it, I mean, pathetic. So, um, so fast forward it. Um, so 18, I, uh, I'm involved in technology and I'm involved in technology and baseball with, with flight scope and, and doing some, a lot of technology within the game. And then, um, in 18 teams wanted me teams that offered me contracts, but it was hard because I, for me, it wasn't, the, I, I was done with the game. I wanted to start a family. Like for me, it was, I was done, but then 19, the angels came knocking and I'm like, all right, like, teams because that that 18 year uh, there was about five or six teams that wanted me to coach in their ranks and I'm like look I'm not ready like I can't do it there was a major league opportunity that I turned down and I'm like I'm, I, I'm not ready for this not not right now I need a year to get away from the game so in 19 the angels come knocking and um, uh, you know it was like one of those things it was the decision between two different organizations I won't name the other one the other one was a different position I would have been a, a hitting analyst uh, or hitting hitting analytics coordinator whatever it was but with the angels I was going to be the catching coordinator I was like look Josh Paul is now there he's the bench coach in the major leagues this is my mentor I'm I, I need to continue to to dig in in his brain and continue to learn um, when there uh our we were very fortunate to have an unreal staff and unreal players in terms of work ethic and 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 what they brought to the table and then um you know brings us all the way to present day which is is a dream come through i mean a dream come true even though freaking COVID is delaying it but uh getting to wear a major league uniform on the team that i grew up umpiring from my bed from my trailer park you know um small ass house that I grew up in. Um, for me, it's, it's been a surreal experience overall. 
Wow, that is a great story. What you can say from that is that that is the American dream. And you didn't deviate in any direction. You kept on your path and you kept pushing forward. So we commend you for that. That is awesome. We applaud you. Very nice job. All right, going along with that, there are so many different things we can go to from your story. One thing I want to turn back to, though, is how you said we need to get the game back to more, a little more gray. Can you explain what you meant by that? Look, we've been talking um, about down to up and receiving since, since Chris, you know, you were catching. You know what I mean? Like, we've been talking about down to up and receiving since the cows have come home. There's been people on a knee since who knows how long. There's been, you know, uh, I just talked about receiving metrics, you know, seven, eight years ago. Like, you know, like everything's been in, like everything's been there, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I, think, I think a mistake that we're making, and, and I think it's part of the young guys that are coming um, up through the ranks and organizations and maybe being at positions that you, you go back uh, 10, 12, 15 years and a guy in my age would never get this opportunity or you see all the college guys that are coming into the game coaching would never get the opportunities. But I think, I think we have a responsibility, right? I think we're I think the game needed a change, right? The game needed a change. Um, uh, why the old school guys? What does old school guy means? The, the only thing I'm going to say about an old school guy is the people that were stuck in their own ways. And I don't think that's an old school guy. I just think that's somebody that was hard headed. But yeah, the boy, the the baseball had the good old boy club, right? Like the you know, and and anybody that that acts like it didn't have it, um, they're they're full of crap. Right. It was the people that enjoyed going to have a beer at night with each other. But now what we have in the game is we're also creating like, you know, we have this responsibility as these young um, people that have getting these opportunities. You know, like, I mean, with the Angels, we had uh, Tyler Jeske, Ryan Parker, Derek Florco, uh, Garment. Like we had so many new like young guys from college had never even, you know, played baseball higher than, you know, a, a smaller school somewhere and but these guys are bright these guys deserve the chance they earned the chance they 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 were picked above anybody else but I think what's going on now is we're, we're like creating the new boy club like the new young boy club right if you can't talk about you know and, and say the word uh you know the, the the trigger words uh biomechanics and sequence and and you know aren't like if you can't say these words and use them, then you're not part of the crew, right? Like you're not part of the crew. You're not part of the conferences. You're not part of that. Right. Like, so then, so I think we're making a mistake in making sure like we need to stay somewhere in the middle. Hey, like let's learn from the people before us. Let's not make the same mistakes because now the, the new boy club, the old boy club or the good old boy club is turning into the new, new boy club. And it's everybody agreeing with each other, playing kumbaya. The only thing was the kumbayas before were about different, about swing down, stay inside the ball, funnel the ball, stay soft, you know. And now the new boy club is talking about all these same things in a different way, and we think we're smarter than everybody else. And and the game's been around before us. It's going to be here after us. And we just need to try to leave it in a better place. And I think. 
we need to make sure that we hold ourselves accountable to not create the one thing we tried to break, right? Like, it's almost like, and I mean, this is kind of kind of creepy in a little way, but it's like Fidel Castro, the reason he took power in Cuba was because he was telling everybody that he was not going to be like the guy before him. Well, when Fidel Castro took power, he did the same exact thing, just in a different way. That's what we're headed to <laughs> if we don't press uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 a stop button here at some point and go, hey, guys, you know what? We all are, we all are different. Eddie has short legs and a long torso. Maybe he needs to do things a little bit differently than this other catcher that has shorter femur, longer femur. Uh, You know, there's no way that Eddie Rodriguez and Ryan LaVarnway should catch the same way. There's no way that Matt Wieters and Wellington Castillo should catch the same way. Why? Because we're just different. And there's no problem with it. Mm -hmm. Let's just learn how to service all of those. So I guess – that's really like how to probably summarize that. I, I was because <clears throat> that is that is me. I mean, I was the guy who in high school and college, people were always talking about, hey, you know, you should probably be a pitcher, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I'm catching my thing. But short legs, long torso. <clears throat> so for me, when I would go ahead and set up, the most natural way would be to have my knees out wide to be upright, the old Charlie O'Brien type stance, and just sit back, let the ball come to me. And I would just try to, I would play a game. I'd try to be as still as I could. I would see if the pitcher could literally hit my glove without even moving. And when he did it, I got every single pitch. It didn't matter if it was six, eight inches below the zone, off the side. As long as the pitcher hit the glove, made no difference. Now, if I was, guys that I played with that were taller, um, toward the end of my career, I saw guys that were, a lot bigger behind the position. Now, these guys that are 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and have, you know, legs as long as my entire body, you know, they can't. They physically cannot get to that position. It's just awkward. So those are the guys you would see with their knees kind of caved in a little bit so they could try to get lower. Um, guys that would put their shoulders to their knees or, or even, you know, t- so low. Like I, I think of a guy like Jason Kendall. You know, Jason would almost have his ass literally sitting on the ground just to get that low. So, you know, that is a man, Eddie, it's funny that you're, you're saying all this stuff because I'm like, holy shit, this is the same, excuse the language. This is the same person just 10, 12 years earlier. You know, that's, and, that's great. That's, I mean, that's, and that's the yeah. thing, man. That's, that's the thing. Like, um, and I mean, look, I'll, 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 um, I guess it's in my nature to go, to go and tap the 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 big conversation of the knee down deal right mm-hmm. um I, you know for me it's like if if we go look into my posting and my my what i've let out in terms of the of social media it's that i'm completely against it but the funny thing is ryan lavarnway is going to catch on one knee the whole year with men on base like why is ryan lavarnway going to do that because he's in that percent of the people that need to that they can't, that they don't have the opportunity to do something else behind the plate and still be successful. And how did we arrive at that? It was a conversation that Ryan and I sat with each other. And and look, Ryan's my age. And me and Ryan actually, when I was with the Red Sox, I helped him rehab when he was rehabbing playing with the Red Sox. And I go to Ryan when we get him, I go, yo, Ryan, talk to me. Um, what do you got? He's like, look, man, I'm intrigued by this knee down thing with men on base. I'm, I'm like, let's talk about it. 
let's let's do it. Let's let's think about how we're gonna do this. The concept is though, I go, Ryan, just understand we're gonna give up blocking a little bit and we're gonna give up throwing a little bit more, but you're still gonna be able to be a good receiver because of your hand path working correctly, and then you're gonna be on a knee down. So for Ryan LeBarnway, it is an absolute it, it's not even an option because the way his hips are, they're a little bit tighter than somebody else's hips. And if you anybody that sees Ryan get down, they're different, right? But is every catcher in baseball needs to drop down to a knee to be a good receiver? No, you you don't. Or a good or um, I guess the statement that holds true is if somebody drops down to a knee, do they become a better receiver? I think that you do become a better receiver. I, I agree hundred percent. I don't think you become a better catcher. I think you you give up you give up too much to gain the same thing that you could have gained from a traditional stance. But here's the thing: a traditional stance with men on base and holding isometric tendencies of your core, your hips, and your lower half is harder to teach than drop down to a knee. So it's it's in our human nature to go and do the easiest the easiest thing. Look, if I had Matt Weeders, right, I'd be like, Yo, we. Bro, we we might need to go down to a knee, bro. Like you're you you're you're big, you're a human being, you're 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 a big dude. But like Austin Barnes, come on, bro. Those hands, are you kidding me? That's sick. Like that's next level stuff, right? Like that's sick. Like yeah, yes. Hey, yes. Like no, I'm gonna no, I'm gonna make you better. No, don't go make yeah, you know, make yes. Like it's it's not necessary. I don't you know want to interject I'm, on you, Eddie. But we asked, I asked Yaz that question. And yeah, I was I know like, how he I, answered it. He told me how he answered. Yeah, it. yeah, and he was just like, "No, I, I, I trust myself. I trust my hands. I'm in a good position. I, I, I know how to catch, right?" And we're going back to the confidence thing. I think sometimes, too, us as catchers, and all three of us here on this call here, we can. It's easy for us to say, "Okay, we're going to teach the way that, that we caught, right?" And I want to go back to something earlier that you had said. You know, Josh Paul had, had had the metrics on you early and found that you were really good. You were really good. You were top, probably, probably better than a lot of the big leaguers at that level, right? What do you feel like made you one of the good receivers? And then uh, is that some internal stuff that you will externally let out to, to those guys, like, like a Brian LaVarnway, like some of the prospects that are, you know, don't have the same body type as you or LaVarnway or somebody else? So what, what, uh, so Josh, look, Josh has what Josh did in New York and for Gary Sanchez and for Kyle Higashioka and for Eddie Rodriguez and for Francisco Diaz and for Donnie Sands, like what, what that man, and here's, those are just players. What he did for JD Klosser, Tyson Blazer, Eddie Rodriguez there, but now as a coach, like what that man did for us, Hector Rabago, like what that man did for us is he didn't only develop players and develop a catching system. Look, we were, we were in the top two or three in receiving every year that Josh was there. Look, last year, New York was in the top two or three in receiving. Um, so, so when JD got let go as a minor league catching coordinator, I was very surprised because I'm like, um, Hey, what, uh, you know, he, um, he was number two or one in receiving, like, Okay, sounds good. Like, organizations do this, and that's, that's part of the game, right? That's part of it. I think we are um, – I think any of us that are in the pro game understand 
that there's decisions that need to be made sometimes and they're made and you have to respect them. And that's how this thing works. Like everybody understands that. But what Josh did is he laid a, a foundation. He laid a program to develop catchers and to develop coaches. And, and that program developed catchers because Gary was a, uh, and I mean, I'm going to, you know, spit a little bit of data this way, but Gary was a plus 0.6.7 receiver um, with me and Trip while we were together in AAA and his first two or three years in the big leagues. 2019 was Gary's only bad receiving year in his entire career um, from a receiving metric standpoint. Um, so, like, what he did for Gary, Kyle Higashioka is one of the best receivers in baseball. Get, uh, and, and Higgy and I would always be competing um, and me talking crap to Higgy because he's just one of the nicest human beings on this planet. But Higgy is ultra talented and ultra skilled and knows how he does it. Donnie Sands, Josh used to drive him every day to the field in the offseason to develop that kid um, and to put in the work to make that kid into a potential prospect because he was a, a, uh, an average hitting third baseman that was probably going to get released. Then Donnie turned himself into a bad son of a gun behind the plate. Um, and, and he is now a bad son of a gun behind the plate. So that's what Josh did, right? Josh developed players, developed coaches. And, like, I was the catching coordinator last year, and I can't explain to you how difficult it is to try to develop players and coaches. Like, it is – it's insane, like, how difficult it is, like – I mean, honestly, I probably helped develop like two of the coaches out of my potential five or six. And, you know, the players had some success, but I couldn't affect all the, all the, all the coaches, how Josh did it. Right. Mm -hmm. So like when I am working with my players and when I am in a cage setting and when I, even when I do some private stuff uh, uh, back home, um, you know, I'm, I'm there for the player. I tell parents, I'm like, look, with all due respect, um, once this, this, this kid or this player steps in here, it's me and him. I don't care about you. I don't, I don't think about you. I think about the player. I remember being a minor leaguer. I remember being the seventh or eighth catcher in minor league spring training and nobody even knowing that I existed. I remember that too vividly. I remember flying from place to place, um, as, as a role guy filling in holes when a prospect got hurt. I remember that, but that makes me be aware of those guys that are in my organization and caring for those guys, making sure that those guys are taken care of. I know I'm going to take care of Alfaro. I know I'm going to take care of Cervelli. I know I'm going to take care of Lavarno. I know I'm going to take care of Wallace. But there is another 20 catchers in the organization and Banfield. We have Banfield who's, you know, super prosperous. Those guys are going to get taken care of 100% because it's my job. But there is that backup to the backup somewhere, that guy gets no love. Nobody knows that guy exists. And that's the guy that I was, so I never tend to forget about that guy. So that that is what Josh taught me and taught that group of guys going up. And, and you're talking about Josh, a guy that had a very, uh, you know, six-year major league career, like major league scout. Like, he's done everything. But that's how he goes about it. And if I don't live up to that, I'm – I'm selling, I'm, I'm selling him short and I'm letting him down. And that by no means is going to happen under my watch, at least. 
So you, let's say you get a prospect and, you know, I know we're, we're going to focus a lot on some of the techniques and everything. What are you doing? What, what's your first, you know, on your task list? What's the first thing that you do when you see a fir- the first guy for the first time? What do you do? Um, so the, the luxury we have in pro ball is we have the ability to let them play, right? Um, and colleges sometimes don't have that luxury. And coaches are very self self um i wouldn't i don't know that the word is self-conscious but like any results right then and there if not everybody freaks out and and you know like everything goes out the wall (laughs) they have to win you know they they need results they need results yep and i and i think some of it is um you got to see this player and you got to see this human being you got to see what makes them tick you got to see what's in in between the ears you got to see what's in in that that chest cavity what is that human being bringing to the plate once you kind of are able to assess that then you need to make sure that you know more about catching and we're, we're it's a coaching a catching podcast this applies to every field but you need to make sure that you are continuously learning more about that position and that skill that anybody in the in the world knows you need to be consistently going like, hey, man, when I'm telling this kid to pocket the ball and doing this with the mitt, am I right? Am I – am I – God, but should I do – should I – you should be questioning yourself and you should be researching yourself and surrounding yourself with people that think you're wrong. Think people that challenge you and make you better, not people kumbayaing and be like, yeah, Eddie, you're the best catching coach in the world. You know everything about catching. Like, yeah, that's good to have that dude in your corner – but for that dude, you need to have two other dudes that are like, like I had Ryan Barba last year, who was a, uh, uh, a, a manager at high A and then a former infielder. And now he's the angels catching coordinator. Well, Barb's was, I, I opened my book to everybody. It wasn't only Barb's. It was throughout the entire organization. And I go to Barb's, Hey man. And he, so he had a guy that we were changing from third base to, to catcher. And he would text me every every day, every other day. Yo, like, what if I try this? Like, what do you got on this? Like, what do you got on this? And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, that's impressive. That's what coaching is. I'm, you know, I just got to oversee it, but that's what coaching is. The guy was there every day. So, like, if I get – so that's the guy that I'm letting do the work, right? So from a and, – and I, I've kind of gone a little bit off on, on that prospect conversation, but for me is having a program, right? And for me, the program starts with – building isometric tendencies below the midsection. What does that mean? All that means is that we are in, and we should be, I'll, I'll, for politically correct purposes, I'll word it a little differently. Um, we are, uh, there's men on base and two strike scenarios way more often. And it's like 60, 58% to like 42% split between men on base, nobody on base. In other words, situations that your ass got to be up to ready to block, throw, receive, right? But when we train it, we don't train it that way. We, when we train it, majority of the training, we're, we're doing it in different formats. And then now, you know, it's become popular to talk about being on a knee with men on base and like, whatever, that's fine. But and in, in if, if you're a Marlins catcher, um, that's not what we're doing. We're gonna we're gonna get your legs nice and strong. And all I'm saying is the average catching play takes about two to two and a half, three seconds. Make sure 
that I could hold my tail up for two to three seconds through the progression of the play with keeping the integrity of it as the ball's in flight because the ball's imposing downward force on me, making sure that I'm imposing upward force on the ball so that I can neutralize the impact at, at everywhere, right? So at the end of the day, that's all I'm trying to do, but I'm using my whole body. I went to the University of Auburn and got on force plates and, and a biomechanic machine to see the amount of impact that the body takes. Like this stuff is, I just didn't make it up. I just don't really make it very public because I think that it's, I think it's all of us need to find our path, right? I think we have to find our path, find how we teach it. And it's not a one size fits all, right? Because as I mentioned, even last year with Anthony Morine, who was a catcher with the Angels, he was already catching on a knee with men on base uh, last year for me uh, after he got drafted because his, his receiving, like he had trouble, like he had this deal with his hips. And I'm like, Anthony, there's a couple options. We either get your hips back out, open up your, your, your mobility at your hips, build isometric, or, you know, or we can't. And we tried it. We did it for two, three months, and and it would just it wasn't there. It was collapsing. It was breaking down. It was. I go all right. Sounds good. And instructs. He was on a knee with men on base. But what we did was, what drive has um, uh, had JT doing it. If JT sees the guy going, he doesn't go to that same knee deal. He does something a little different. So that's what we did with Moran, right? So it's the same concept, but it it was for Moran. The other 25 catchers, they caught normal. Even my 240-pound guy, well, by surprise, my 240-pound guy was my leading blocker in the entire organization at, like, a 96% success rate. So, like, you know, it's, it's so, like, the spectrum is so wide that there's not, like, a black, black and white deal to it, right? Like, so yeah. it's, it's building that lower half ability, I, I would say – first with that prospect and getting to know them and then everything else we'll figure it out i want to ask you right at the end there you talked about the 96 percent rate how are you guys measuring a successful block can you give our listeners an idea of how this is measured conceptually what is a successful block in your opinion you know one of my great collaborators is greg brown and greg brown is is like family and and one of the things that, you know, he, he's, he's actually told me is like, dude, like sometimes you got to let stuff out because not, ev not everybody's going to be able to execute it the way that, you know, you may execute it. So from a blocking perspective, look, at the end of the day, I think it's easy, right? Does the guy advance a base? That's, that's a successful block, right? But the cool thing now with Miami is, um, so I built an algorithm last year with the Angels, and I built uh, uh, with the help. And I, I, me saying I built, that sounds kind of ridiculous because I gave input into what I wanted built, and then I had people way smarter than me build what I needed built. And, um, and what these guys built for me, um, uh, Matthew DeMarty and Kevin Bryce, two, two you know, young dudes, talented, skilled, like, dudes, and they built something for me that was great. And all it did was I wanted to understand the, a successful block. And I, I considered anything a successful block, anything that a guy does not advance a base on. Mm -hmm. Now, um, in 2020, I have Sharif, Sharif Othman with me 
as my catching analyst um, who played uh, for a long time um, and is also uh, over there in Cali with Hector Rabago and he does some stuff with Bleeker and, and he's part of that whole crew. Um, and Sharif, we've now created like 2.0. And like 2.0, and the cool thing about having Sharif is that he was a former catcher. So now I don't only have to go if the guy advanced or not. I now could be like, hey, Sharif, if the ball was within a four-foot radius, whatever the number, four, five, three, four-foot radius, now we consider that a good block. Because now we know that nobody could have gone on that ball. Nobody could have gone on that ball. Why we want to train? Yeah, you could keep Eddie from advancing a bag, but can you advance? Can you keep Billy Hamilton from advancing a bag? And that's what we're training for. Be a lion, like. And and I get that from from James Rousen, who's my bench coach, and he was a hitting coordinator when I was with New York. Like he's always talking about be a lion. Why do I want to train right to to get Eddie out? Anybody could get Eddie out. A left-handed catcher with an arm side sink changeup could get Eddie out. But can you? Can you get um, can you get Billy Hamilton out on a block, right? So we've created um, um, an algorithm to to create to give us the the true feedback, right? And right. and it's and and then in addition, we're collecting data on like, hey, to what location was that? Was that to his left, to his right, to the middle? Was like we're we're collecting enough data that not only does it let me evaluate the catcher from a scouting perspective but it also lets me improve the catcher from a coaching perspective. Anything that, okay. that I push our analytics staff to build comes with two purposes, scouting and coaching. Right. If I don't have both, then I'm, I'm selling somebody short, and I think that we don't have to. I love that. And, and one thing that I want to ask you about, too, was about you know, the external metrics that you see on like a baseball savant or a baseball prospectus of what people see out in, you know, I don't want to say the real world, but, you know, they're not going internally into the Miami Marlins organization, the Los Angeles Angels organization. So what are, and again, I know we got to be very conscientious about what we talk about because a lot of the stuff is in the information is proprietary, but what do you feel like people don't see? And this is going to go back into the receiving metrics, but what do you think people don't see in, in what they're basing it off of, of, you know, the, the box. And I love, Chris always calls it the strike box. And that's my favorite word now to call it because that's what it is. It's stupid. It's on TV. And um, people don't realize like, okay, the risk, you know, from a reception standpoint, where that ball's actually crossing the plate, you know, did the, did track man not work on that pitch, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what are they not seeing? What are they, what don't they know? So what's gotten really interesting is that um, our internal stuff is one, two degrees away from what the public stuff is now. If we were having this conversation three years ago, I'd be like, bro, it ain't even close. Um, and, and then our advantage is the fact that we have it on minor leaguers, right? Um, and, and that's the advantage we have, right? We have it on everybody. We have it. Uh, we even have an internal camera uh, version of it for college guys. So like we, before drafting guys, we could, in, in, based on data, factor in if this guy is going to be a good receiver as soon as he gets to us. Um, so there are, there are ways. I don't think by now, um, look, I think that like if you box in the top five and like our internal stuff, 
or you box in the top five, like on baseball savant, or like I have like, you know, baseball perspectives or whatever, those top five will maybe, you know, flux a little bit, but they're all kind of the same names. But I want to go back to, I want to train like those top five. Yeah. That's who I want. I want those dudes. I want Yaz. I want Stas. I want Hedge. Those, those are the dudes. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying I'm going to end up there. I'm not saying I'm going to be that dude uh, because those are at the top of their game. I'm saying that's who I'm going to train like. Right. And then if I end up, you know, somewhere else, then I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it. But th- those are the top, like, right. So at this point, you know, like that box, like, like Chris says, um, is actually not even what we factor into a ball strike. Um, uh, the, the box is a little bit more complex um, mm-hmm. from a standpoint of, and it's stuff that's out there. It's K-Zone concept more than that actual box. So, but, but look, it's going to be interesting, right? Two year, in two years, we have no – zones gone. Like, yeah. like, strikes gone, right? So, all this big deal we're making about receiving, good, beautiful. I love it. Let's keep talking about catching. I was talking to Stan today. I go, Stan, like, this is when you need to put out content, bro. Like, catching is the most it's ever been talked to about in the history of catching. Like, let's go. And, and it's great. But the zone is coming, bro. Right. Like, at the pro level, at the major league level, it's coming. Like, is it ever coming to college? Is it ever coming to summer ball? It, yeah, it's going to be hard, right, because right. of the, the financial ramifications. But at our level, like, so what are we going to do? Like, now we can't do – we have to completely change our entire, like, thing. So, so, I mean, even last year, I was already planning with our farm director in terms of, like, hey, should we have our, our, our guys in the Dominican Summer League catching uh, and working on receiving? Should I base them more about blocking and throwing and game calling? Right? Because we talk about these things, but we forget about game calling. Like, mm-hmm. you kidding me? Like, game calling, that that's not easy. Like, like it's insane how much work you have to put into that. And it's not even physical work. It's, it's like, it's stuff that we're, us like guys that are, you know, typical sports guys, we're not great at sitting down and analyzing data. Like, that's not what we do. That's not what we're great at. Like, right. so there's so many more aspects to this. So, so from, but from a, a standpoint of data and what's available now to the fans is, I mean, it's insane. Like even sitting today and, and me looking at some of the stuff, you know, it was part of why I wanted to be in a more controlled environment for my end, because one of the things that I've, I've made a, I guess a pact or whatever with is if I don't know it's a fact, I don't, it doesn't come out of my mouth. Right. So for example, if I, if, if, if I'm talking about a receiving, right. If I, I, you know, we, and I gave you crap a couple of days ago about like, Hey, that guy should maybe push out a little bit. Right. Right. And <laughs> the only reason I'm, I'm saying that is because the top five guys in the game, that's what they do. Right. That, and so that's- it's like, I wanted to Sorry. ask you about no, no, no. I, and I wanted to ask you about that because, you know, we talk about, you know, there's a, a flexion to extension or extension to flexion. And, and I think more times than not, we don't realize that it's, it's per the pitch, right? We had Tony Arnrich on a couple uh, podcasts ago, and he talked about, you know, I think I asked him, I said, what, what are you, what are you teaching? What, what are you telling these guys? And he goes, I think it varies by pitch. And I think that's 100% correct. Um, but you see guys that are pretty consistent with their moves, like an Austin Barnes, right? 
And like we talked about, he has super fast hands, quick hands. And, and then you and I have had those, you know, external conversations about this stuff. And you're right. You want to watch those guys and you watch like a real Muto and he kind of, you know, I, and I said to driver, I said, Oh, he, he looks like he rips through it. And he goes, Oh no, it's, it's more than that. You, you know, it's, it's a little bit more than just ripping through it, but like, and you say push through it. And then you said something to me about um, the wrist action. So I wanted to ask you about the wrist action, what you were talking about with the wrist action and what, what you mean by that. Look, one of the things I want to do is I want to highlight Craig driver. Um, I want to highlight the amazing job. That's one of those guys that's carrying the flag the right direction right there. That's a guy that came into the Phillies organization with my guy, Jorge Alfaro, and he turned him from one of the worst AAA receiving catchers into an above-average major league receiver. Then um, they then bring an all-star catcher. They trade Alfie to us. I guess I'm not even us because I wasn't here at that point. But they bring Alfie to Miami. They get him an all-star. And he makes the guy from an all-star to a to a a monster that's about to get paid. Um, you know, helps helps that guy's career. And now I'll tell you this much, bro. Wilson Contreras, that boy's gonna be a dude. Like, and and look, the the intangibles and the the skill of Wilson Contreras. I mean, but the cool thing is, I have a version of that in my boy Alfie. So. I'm not envious at all of Craig, but I'll tell you what, what Craig has done coming from Yale and doing what he's done, uh, catching bullpens and, and, and him stump and, and Dusty Watham over there in the Phillies led by, led by Craig and doing the receiving like Craig wanted. That's what, what cap wanted. I mean, that's been impressive. And, and he's done it now with Alfaro. He's done it with Real Muto and he's going to do it with Wilson Contreras. Like, that's a dude. That's what a dude looks like. And, and I want to highlight it because I don't think, you know, I think we, 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 we will highlight, and, and I've been doing a little research on, and I, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name, and I probably am going to regret it, but Art, Arnich, Arsnich with Seattle? Oh, Arnrich. 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 Um, not, I don't know what he's already. doing because he does a really good job of staying very private. I've done enough studying of his catchers, but that boy knows what he's doing. That man knows what he's doing. And, um, you know, and it hasn't quite translated to the major league level with them as an organization yet. But I'll tell you what, man, there, I keep track on them. Last year, they were the number one receiving organization in all of baseball, led by Odom at double A. Like, I mean, you know, these are dudes, man. These are dudes. They're doing it. They're doing it. And here's the cool thing. They're doing it in different ways. So, hey, like, if it takes this for you, sounds good. I'm going to do this for you. This for you, I'm going to do this for you. And, and look, the, the cool thing about it, you have a guy like JT. JT is, I mean, he's a freak, right? Athletically, he's a freak, right? And JT was able to do, no matter how many knees, what he did, knee up, knee down, like, that boy's nimble. He can move. He could, he's got, he, he averaged 88, 89 miles an hour to second base. Like, I mean, dude, that's insane. Like, Stupid. Yep. that's insane. Like, that's not even real, right? That's, that's a man, right? But, but that, that's kind of like the thing with it, with it all, right? Like, um, but Craig is, is a dude within, within, within the ranks, man. Like, and, and I definitely, uh, he's somebody that, 
is definitely somebody to look at his catchers and what they're doing. I want to ask you, since we're getting into receiving a little bit, with all the different styles today, now, my era that I came up, guys like Javi Lopez, um, Charlie O'Brien, Eddie Perez, you know, all of these guys that were very quiet, that were considered above average receivers. One of the things with the whole knee down thing is glove placement. So question I have for you is when you, when you see a kid and you start talking to him about, we're going to make you a better receiver, how much emphasis do you put on, do I want my glove closer to the bottom, maybe closer to the ground versus keeping it right at the bottom of the zone and working it that way? So that's, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily talk to guys about leaving the glove at the bottom of the zone. And the reason I don't is because that may work for one, two, three, five, ten kids, but it may be not work for one other kid. So that makes me not go into, like, this is what we're going to do. But a downward load, so, like, a load of bringing the glove down. Like, I know that people are getting carried away going all the way to the ground, and I think it makes it easier. I think it, it – it, like, look, Dustin Garneau, who um, – who's one of my catchers last year with the Angels, loved the dude. Um, he needed to feel like his left shin. So the reason that he kept his right knee down and left knee up is because he needed to load the glove along his shin to feel the load, the downward load, and that inward-downward load because we're like, boom, to push and neutralize, right? All we're trying to do is we're trying to neutralize um, the, the impact of the baseball so that when we can manipulate it and move it and do the little bit uh, of things. But, like, I think the biggest difference of then to now is, look, we have TrackMan that gives us the XZ coordinate of the pitch. We have the coordinate, so we're able to know how often that gets called a strike or not on average in our game. But here's a more interesting one. Who knows if at that time – Sucking it in and being quiet actually got you more strikes. Like, we can't say it. We can't even speculate. We can't be like, you know, besides us going like, man, I remember Javi got strikes, you know, three inches off the plate or four inches, whatever, like, or Charlie or whatever. We could go down the list of all the names, right? What we can say is we don't know for sure, so I definitely don't feel comfortable saying they were better or worse. All I'm saying is, hey, maybe you don't know if these guys – like if, if Brad Ausmus, I mean, he was my manager last year, and like Brad Ausmus is like catching and doing this, and I'm like, Brad, what the what what the hell are you doing, bro? I'm giving him crap, but it's like, hey, the guy caught for 20 years, and yeah. that's what he did. You know what? Maybe you worked at that point. Maybe the umpires were a little bit different. Who knows? Maybe they weren't. Maybe it was an optical illusion of everybody, right? But I don't want to discredit those guys because I think if I think one of the things we're, we're doing in the game is we're discrediting the people that came before us. And, and I don't think that's right either. I think that the people that came before us, they, they did what they did in their time and they were successful. I think that all we can control is where we're at and where we're going. So let's make that memorable, but I don't want to discredit these guys in terms of what they did uh, from that standpoint. You see a lot of guys to follow up on Chris's point. You see a lot of guys. So again, another name to throw out there that we had on here, but uh, Ryan Sienko. You know, we yep. talked about we talked about loads and stuff like that. And you know, he's like, I, I want a calm target. 
you know, I want to call him Mitt before I make my path or route to the ball. And obviously, you know, he's more, I, I think if you look at a lot of his receivers, they're a lot of more funnel. Um, and then another person to, to call out we had when we had Tucker Barnhart on, you know, he, he talked about when he would funnel, you would lose track of the ball. The umpire would lose track of the ball. And, um, you know, with his work with J.R. House, they were kind of more or less, again, kind of pushing through. And that way they could see the ball. So, again, timing is, is everything. Do you talk to your guys about timing at all? Like some of the different loads or pre-pitch movements. Um, and, again, uh, re- referencing Ryan, he said somebody, you know, could do it with the legs, could do it with their eyes. Um, just curious your thoughts on, on timing and load mechanisms. I mean, one of the things, and, and Chris, you know, go back to your old days and it was like beat the ball to the spot. Like we got talked about beat the ball to the spot. And by we, I mean, any of us catchers, all of us got talked beat the ball to the spot to we're blue in the face by every single catching coach we've ever been around. Like beat the ball to the spot, down up to the ball, uh, be nice and quiet. Like all these things that we're making super cool now, we've been talking about it, right? But um, I agree with Ryan. I think that if a catcher can, like, for example, I'll, I'll highlight uh, or single myself out like I was this guy. I did this because we were always taught quarter turn, right? So I don't doubt that I was, like, stuck on the quarter turn deal. But I was like this, but I had good pocket awareness where it's where the whole, like, keyhole thing came out was, hey, shoot, what, what I feel was one of my best skills was pocketing the baseball. Let me see if this also helps a bunch of other people along the lines. So in – in um and doing that, like I would work through the ball or go to it, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't think about my load until like Josh Paul goes, <laughs> he was, it was ridiculous. Cause we would be in the cage and he would be like, do less. And I'm like, Josh, what do you mean do less? He goes, yeah, do less. And I go, I don't know what that means. He goes, just do less. So the pitch would come, I would do X and he would go do less. And I'm like, when, where? What are you talking about? Until me and my smart-ass no, ways. Put no effort into it. Just yeah, well, but me and my smart-ass ways, I just let the ball bounce off my chest. And I'm like, is that enough? Is that enough less? <laughs> I'm like, is that enough less? And, and um, But what he was trying to get across was it's like still move the ball, still do what you do, but do it crisp. Do it so nobody knows that it's happening, hmm. what's happening. You don't need to show everybody that you're like, look at me, look at me, look, I'm doing all these things. It's like, all right, if you need this during practice to re- reinforce it, if you need, like, for example, if you see, like, a guy like like Flowers, like Flowers 10 years ago doesn't serve, and it's funny because Flowers was supposed to be a hurricane, and he signed because I was at Miami, and then the son of a gun has gone on now to do just fine without ever coming to Miami. But, but Tyler, like, bro, what that guy has done, like, he shows you the mitt, does this. Like, if you did that back 10, 12 years ago, you would oh get shot God, in yeah. the face. Like, you wouldn't <laughs> yeah. last. And and it, it didn't matter how good of a receiver you were. Like, pitchers would be like, hey, um, get this guy out of here, right? Um, but what, what he does is his timing. He beats the bottom of the spot. If you beat the bottom of the spot, and I don't mean the spot that the ball is at. I mean the spot that the ball is going to. If you beat the ball to the spot that the ball is going to, then you could then you could get all sexy with it. Then you could do the 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 Barnsey and 
boom, move this thing what looks like two feet, and nobody can see it because he's 33% faster than everybody else. Yeah. Or you go see a Max Stasi and moving the ball. You know, like you see these dudes and you're like, um, dude, and you, we get, and we get upset because we're watching right. it from like the pitcher's view. Mm-hmm. Imagine being the umpire. You can't see it. It's impossible. Right. Yeah. We're asking for an impossible task with how fast these guys are moving their arms and their hands. It's so funny that you say that because again, you know, social media is out there. It's, I think it's nice to have because you, you learn different things. You see things that you can pick and choose from. You see some stuff that's complete eyewash. And then you hear people that say that catchers aren't moving the ball. And it was funny because Yaz and I was reviewing Yaz's podcast that we did. And he's like, I asked him. And, you know, of course, he's, he's going to keep his mouth shut. He's like, you know, I'm not moving the ball. The ball's moving me. And I think that's super important to understand. And, but I still feel like, you know, again, this is me talking. It's my opinion. You still have to assist and you're still moving the baseball. It's not stick anymore. And I think people think more times than not, it's like, oh, you know, again, stuck in your ways, right? The old boy catchers or whatever you want to call it. And, and you say stick, don't move. Or it's body weight shift and catch the ball and center the ball with your body. When I think more times than when you're centering the ball off the plate, you're moving the umpire with you. When we want to catch quiet, keep our eyes quiet. Yeah, you might be funneling. Yeah, you're pushing the ball back to the zone. But I think that was something that, uh, you know, over time, people just don't realize. They continue to just say, oh, why? nobody's going to call that a strike. Well, again, the, the most public thing that's out there is baseball savant. You can go find any pitch, anytime, anywhere. And that ball, again, in the box, in, in comparison to the box, the ball's moving eight inches, right? And it's assisted, right? You're assisting it, but the ball's still moving. And I think it's so, so funny to hear this time and time again. And then you see these guys that continuously get debunked um, over time. So I guess in your opinion, Eddie, can we move the baseball? I, I think the... And I think, look, I think there is a moving of the ball concept, right? I think that there is a moving of the ball concept. I think there is a concept to it. But but here's the cool thing about it, right? The only way to move a ball up that can happen continuously, effortlessly, that the umpire doesn't see it or nobody can see it, or the only way to is by moving through the ball and beating it to the spot and sticking it in an upward format back to the zone. Right. So that's the thing, right? Like the sticking it. Look, I, I agree. Like the whole, we are, we are doing some movement of the ball back to the zone. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is we're matching equal and opposite angles. We're just matching the opposite angle. And then we're doing the opposite to neutralize everything. And a lot of times that ends up being back to the zone. How do we neutralize a curveball that's breaking across the plate from a right-handed pitcher? Well, we have to get, on this side of the plate and we have to stick it this way and do we stick it or do we stick it like you know those are two different things and maybe you're doing one or the other but there's one that gets you a little bit more strikes than the other one right mm-hmm. and and and, mm-hmm. and the concept that that is and, and you know like when i'm ever giving you crap about <laughs> bringing, the, bringing the ball yes. in is that does work for some pitches, and that's what we've kind of gone back and forth a little bit. Mm-hmm. There is an X amount of pitches that that may work for. 
and it might be a guy that has the right on his heater because that ball is going to ride through the zone. But is it what the dudes are doing? And 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 then one thing that I and I and I almost made and I probably I guess there was a big chance that this could have blown up in my face. But I started doing the same thing with 13 and 12 year olds that I did with 30, 25, 30 year old men. Mm-hmm. And some of these kids reacted like it's funny how they could connect their nervous system and 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 do the stuff. And if you're asking for it, they could do it. So like I started going like, well, maybe this kid's not ready for this. But then I would go, well, let's just try it. Let's see what we get. And it's like, oh crap, he picked that up quicker than my double A catcher last year, for example, right? Or or whatever, right? Like, so I think that these are the things that we need to kind of keep in context. Like, what does you know, what does do less mean? Like, like Josh Paul told me, do less. But if you go and look at any video of me, and I, I mean, it's going to have to be minor league video. Uh, it's not major league video, but my do less, bro, trust me, I did a lot. And, and it got me strikes, right? Mm-hmm. But like, if you talk to like Jose Molina, when he was playing, like Jose was like, bro, I used to sway, hide the ball from the umpire. Like I used to do this. And he did, and he got more strikes at that time. Mm-hmm. Now, was he getting more strikes because he was Hosey? Was he getting more strikes because it was David Price on the bump? Was he getting more strikes because his last name is Molina? Was he getting more strikes because whatever? Who right. cares? He was getting more strikes. Mm-hmm. And, and the name of the game is get more strikes. If an umpire if, – if, if I went and did research, and it showed me that the best receivers in the game, and by that I mean the top dudes, catch – on one leg upside down, that's how we would catch. We would go and do it. <laughs> why? Because oh, why? I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a bear. I'm gonna be a grizzly. Like let let's do it. Like that's that's what I want. So, are you a post catch flat reception guy, or, or are you a guy that has a little wrist flexion roll? I'm a I'm a get more strikes guy. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't. Um, I'm good with both of those, uh, Tyler. Um, I, I really am. Genuinely am with, with all of it. Is I was the wrist. I was this guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I was that guy. Um, Barnsey is this guy, and it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, was, I, was, I was this guy. That was it. There that you was, go. That was it. Yeah. All, all, at the end of the day, it's about getting the results. Exactly, 100%. different ways. If you get a strike, you get a strike. 100%. So I wouldn't say, like, you know, when I – because I'll get asked a question, like, hey, like, what do you think is your best skill as a coach or whatever? And I'm like, I don't really – I don't think my best skill is, like, as a coach. I think my best skill is I know from data who's best and who's not, and I know how to teach what the good ones do and not to teach what the bad ones do. Like, that's what – like, literally – if I was to tell you like the big secret, like right, if, if there was like the one little pill that we could take and and um, and and I, there's there may be more components to this thing, but in blocking, throwing, and receiving, the only thing I factor in is I try to teach more like the best, less like the worst, and literally I find ways to accomplish that. Is it with a keyhole? Is it with a with a PVC pipe? Is it with two PVC pipes? Is it with me going and fishing with the guy? Is it with a tennis ball? Uh, is, is it with masks on, masks off, uh, 
knuckleballs. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to battle for that guy because I want him to get paid. I want him to get a college scholarship. I want him to take care of his family. And in turn, selfishly, we're going to win more games. So going along – I love that, by the way. Going along with all the receiving stuff that we talked about. So I mentioned earlier in the intro that you are the designer, which, like I said, is, is one of my favorite gloves to use now, which is the keyhole. And um, I have it right here. Um, I love it. W kind of walk us through and, – and, of course, a lot of our viewers probably don't know what the keyhole is um, – you can see it on my social media. You can see it on Chris's social media. Uh, Eddie, I don't think you have any videos. You might, but um, I know Greg Brown, when he did his ABCA presentation two years ago on the main stage, he had the keyhole. Um, but kind of walk us through what, what your mindset was. And I, again, knowing that you're an avid fisherman, kind of looks like, a, like you were on the boat one day and you're like, man, I got this great concept. And and here it is. That's probably how it started. I just put the wrong netting on it, man. Um, look, um, the concept with it, and, and like I said, Brownie, it was funny because the day Brownie grabbed that from my house, uh, he, we went fishing that day, and I crushed him. I caught way more snook than he did. Um, and, and, um, and I was kind of upset because I'm like, dude, I'm here inviting one of my you know, good buddies fishing and I absolutely catch all the fish and I was actually setting him up for success. I don't know what the hell happened. It's on his ass. Uh, but with the mid, the concept was where is it that a catcher catches a pitch that makes that noise around the stadium, that, that crisp noise. Now I was having this conversation with Stan today where that pocket is at, is that big noise come maybe a little bit more towards the palm? Maybe could we have moved it a little bit more towards the webbing? Like, yes, there's always room for improvement. And, and I don't think we're there yet. But the concept was the barrel of the bat concept. If I could consistently barrel the ball, then I trust this guy that if he, if he knows how to get the barrel to the baseball, then if he misses a little early, a little late, a little short, a little long, he'll still get the thick part of the barrel on the ball. Same thing with the mitt. All too often we go look online. and I mean, not online. We watch a major league game, and unfortunately we don't have the the, the – the luck to, to be looking at them right now and watching those guys games right now. But when you watch and the ball rattles in the mitt. So the ball hit the pot, the, the, the palm and rattle. If you go back and watch a lot of those videos of those guys that rattle and it wasn't on a swing. So it happens a lot on a swing uh, because guys lose sight of the ball. So they, they miss it rattles, but watch when it's not a, a swing and the tendency is that those guys that don't consistently pocket the baseball are not good receivers. And in turn, don't end up being great throwers unless they have cannons. And look, if you have a cannon, you're going to be a great thrower at the major league level. Like that's not, that's not an if and or but, that's a fact. Um, but the thought with the mitt was, man, how can we find the barrel? And then the, and then the cool thing was that like Chris has got the miniature version of it that he's working on it. And it's, it's, it's along the same lines, right? We're working on centering the ball. You know, he's working on keeping that man a little bit more open, a little bit more still, a little bit more centered. And what I'm working on here solely is I don't want to coach. I think that the more that I tell a player what to do, I think it, it's not his. I think it's not proprietary to him. I want his brain to code it. And I just want to go, yeah, man, exactly. I agree. Like, that's what I want. So. 
if the mitt tells me if I'm catching the ball right or wrong, I don't need to say a word. I don't need to say a darn thing. Like it's self, and it's just like uh, like Timmy Cousins. He you know he came up with the heavy mitt with the anvil, and it hasn't taken off just yet because it the you know there's part of it that needs to continue to go. But it's we're adding uh, we're adding variables to make to the things that we're trying to do the skill acquisition a little bit harder so that our brain can, our neural pathways can connect easier right and and once you connect the neural pathway then boom that's how you got the stuff that you could go on autopilot you're like whoa this big leaguer doesn't even look like he's swinging he doesn't even look like he's catching well in their brain they're not thinking move the ball they're not thinking this or not thinking that because they practice it so much it goes into autopilot but right. with the smith now where we're at the point is we're at the point of perfecting the pocket uh, because the the pocket is just not where we want it, and and we're I think we're gonna steal a couple ideas from Chris um, in terms <laughs> of how he's building his pocket. Uh, I want to create a durability that it can handle baseballs on a continuous standpoint. And all I think about is Jason Veritek and that floppy mitt that he had. So some version of that um, to create the pocket. You know what it is. All all it all you need, Eddie, is <clears throat> now. Yeah, it, it's a it's a smaller. The smaller version of it, and I spent literally a month, and I think I was sending pictures to Tyler like every night for 30 days straight, saying, "What do you think of this?" So, it, it, so I kept building and scrapping, building, scrapping. Finally, when I when I had, I just grabbed a lacrosse net, and I'm like, "Well, this still isn't doesn't feel as sturdy." As soon as I took leather straps and just kind of kind of made racing stripes with them, you know, that was it. That's literally all they need, and that'll handle the that'll handle velocity, you know, well, so. Well, trust me, I, I got on stand today. I was, uh, I was, I'm actually going on the boat tomorrow. Uh, so I was doing some boat stuff while talking to Stan and I told Stan, I go, I go, Hey man, like whatever the heck Chris is doing with his mitt, like, let's try that because these strings that, uh, that we came up with, um, you know, even if you use it with the lighter ball, the the, the lighter ATEC balls or whatever balls yep. you use to it, um, it can handle it, but it's just not – it's not the all-star I know, right? Like, all-star is all-star, right? And and part of the reason that I was trying to convince Brownie that year not to even take it was because I was like, Brownie, I like – because, like, the one I have is actually funny. It's uh, it's orange uh, because Stan made it with, <laughs> with the orange in mind. And um, – but what what um what I'm what I, I I didn't feel comfortable right because I think the brand is bigger than than any of us right so for me yeah. um I'm like because the cool thing about it is um and I guess I'm gonna let something out of that uh, you know out of the hat but it's you could put make this a weighted pocket mitt so now it puts the anvil together with this mitt and now if you're talking about adding variables now this adds variables because you know we've done the wrist weights and the wrist weights are good right? But the weight that we really have impacting us is beyond the wrist. The wrist is literally what controls it. If we're doing here some, something here, now we're talking about working on our shoulder, which is not a bad thing whatsoever. Um, but um, everything happens beyond the wrist, right? And then what controls it is the wrist. If we put something on here, we're talking about now controlling here, controlling here, all these different things. So I think a pocket, a glove with a pocket goes along the lines. And then, you know, one of the questions I got on Twitter was, hey, like, this looks a lot or this looks similar to the equalizer that Timmy Cousins created, I think. No. 
No, no, no. Equalizer. And that I thing scares the crap out of me. <laughs> and I go, and even with Timmy, I was with Timmy. We did a Texas baseball range yeah. camp, which was great because right. we had Timmy and uh, and Jerry Weinstein, and um, and I'm sitting there with uh, exactly that man right there. <laughs> and I told the gentleman online, I go, well, the reason that I kept the top of mine on and did it the way I did it is because actually a lot of balls at the bottom of the zone, when we're doing this to them, we actually catch them on that little, you know, inch and a half, two inches of, of leather at that top. So I don't want to take that tool away. I fucking want to train it. Yeah. I want to train it. Yeah. I want to train it. What I don't want to train. And here's the thing. I'm going to be a little bit of a hypocrite. What I don't want to train is catching the ball. Like, Where's my? I don't want to train catching the ball like here, right? That that In spot the right there. But the funny thing is that when I was playing, and I and I wanted to keep more of the mid on the plate, I would act. And I had a picture that the ball didn't move a lot. I would actively try to catch the ball here, like on the outside corner, so that it looked like there was more mitt on home plate, and the ball actually came in through here, but it looked like there was more mitt on the plate. So mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a, I'm I, w- I did it. I'm not a proponent of it, but I'm a firm believer that if you know where the pocket is at, then I could make this thing dance, right? Like right. like it's funny. I have a kid that's like 13, I think he's 14 and um and he's like he's nasty. I mean, this kid is he he's like he's wise beyond his years in terms of skill, but this kid is pocketing every single ball. Meanwhile, I've done it um with very highly regarded catchers in our game and they don't have the same success rate. And it, 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 it just shows you um, what the skill it's training and, and it doesn't take coaching, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. take, it doesn't take coaching. I think that, I think that a player's best coach is their coach. And I think we've heard that for a thousand years, yeah. right? Like you're your own best coach. We've said it, mm-hmm. but as us coaches have a lot a hard time letting go. Right. If it happens yep. in the middle of a game, if it happens, we have a hard time letting go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that 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 that's a skill we got to get better at. Right. It, Let go a little bit. Yeah, it's in our nature. And in a quote that I always use, and I just used it, I think, last night when I was training a kid. But I said, sometimes the best coaching is no coaching at all. And that, and that goes with in part what we were talking about with your mitt. Um, that if you're not if you're not catching it, you're not catching it. You know, you got to figure out internally. Um, like you said, correct, you know, with the neurosystem and everything and how to get that pocket there. So I, I thought that was, um, I, I love, I, I love the mitt. I absolutely love the mitt, by the way. Hopefully we nailed down the pocket. I think we nailed down the pocket and I, and even though I don't know Kristen whatsoever, I don't know who she is. I don't know much about her. Besides, I know that she's an avid voice in the catching community. Um, I talked to Stan about making a softball version one. Um, and, and, and look, man, like, at the end of the day, like they made me one. They made me a. I took the focus framer, and combined it with the um, with my glove with the pocket. And I told Stan this was two years ago. I said we need something like this. I said the softball community, number one, they're all freaking insane. I mean, they will train ten days a week if you let them. And I mean, I've got my lessons right now are with softball girls because they just want more and more and more and they pick things up so much more quickly or English 
um, than the boys do. You know, so they do. They, 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 I can't talk. I'm old. They sit down there and you tell a girl one thing and you show them and within three times, they got it. Whether it's your transfer, whether it's loading, whether it's, you know, I remember the, did a lesson with a girl and as soon as she went into a loaded position after transfer, she goes, should I feel something on the outside of my hip? I go, yeah. And she goes, okay, I feel it. So I, I guess that's right. And I'm like, boys don't talk like this. You know, I mean, it, the best thing I had, I had a 10 year old, Tyler, I remember I tell you the, this the one day where we get done with the lesson, this little 10 year old, he's just a freaking baseball rat. His name's Rocco. And he's like, he goes, coach Chris, he goes, you know, I was thinking, um, if I had my choice of what I could be when I get older, if I could be a pair of hips or a pair of hands, I would want to be a pair of hips. He goes, for one, the hands, they just don't care. They do what they want. He goes, but hips, they're the leaders. And hands, they're just followers. At least as a 10-year-old kid, my head went like this. It just exploded. I go, who the hell talks like this when they're 20 or 30, much less 10 years old? You know, it's but insane, back to the back to the glove. They made this. They made a, a bigger version um, of the focus framer where the padding is thinner up through here, and so it's thinner here. It's a little bit bigger. I've got a couple posts on my uh, Instagram. I think it's about a year back where when they sent it to me, I mean, it's a it's a freaking awesome, awesome glove. You know, but there yeah, no, there's so many test things that they do. They just haven't they haven't released all of them. Yeah, no, and, and they're, and look, they're, you know, they're working through some stuff always, you know, and, and obviously, look, this is unprecedented time. So even me talking to Stan today, I'm like, look, man, I don't even expect you to, to be focusing on this right now. But, but as, as we kind of go, and then one of the things we talked about was creating some instructional videos to just, um, look, I think my job, for example, right, um, I'm a major league catching coach, and my job is to get uh, my catchers ready to win a baseball game to the major league level. Um, I'm also in charge of overseeing our minor leagues, but I'm also, I'm, I'm also in the public eye from the fact that I, I wear a major league logo on, on my hat. Right. And I think that, and, and I always use the, it actually works on this one, but it's a kid in Iowa in the middle of Iowa. If there's a kid that hears me say one thing, and I don't know for a fact that it's been, you know, vetted and checked out and it's, and it's not for my personal gain. I think that I owe it to that kid to, to do things and help him realize his dreams because I live my life on a dream, right? I've, I've been fortunate enough to literally dream of some of the stuff that's happened to me and have happened to me and, and, and earned it. Right. And I think that, Anytime that we're putting out a lot of inf like information, I think at least I hold myself extremely accountable that I don't want to negatively impact somebody because just like JD had that one pivotal moment with me, I don't want to have a pivotal moment with anybody in terms of, of what to do. And, you know, and, and that's a big one for me. I mean, and that's one that I truly feel like um, and it's part of the reason why I'm not maybe a little bit more active on the social media spectrum and in terms of that, because I, I want to make sure that that I could help somebody potentially net like a point zero 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 three percent help them get that college scholarship, play in the college world series, blah, 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 whatever down the road, like do all these things. Like, I mean, I've had a couple kids have committed 
And when they've committed, I get, I mean, it's like I'm more proud than when I committed to a school. Like, because, because that's what means a lot, right? Like, you know, when these guys accomplish these things, that's what means a lot. When, when my catchers last year earned what they earned, like that's, that's the goal of this. And, and when it comes to these mitts and to these training tools, um, you know, and, and there's more stuff that I have. And, and I know that Tyler, uh, noticed my name at the beginning and and uh that was me with another group of, of my buddies talking but there's other tools that really work on those things that we need to do to be great catchers and that's what I'm a proponent of right like how can I further help these kids and I think we all are right I, I don't think look I don't think there's one person in this country that teaches catching or teaches anything trying to suck I don't think there's one I don't think there's one trying to suck but I do think that sometimes we get in our own way as instructors and we don't vet what we're teaching, right? We need to vet what we're teaching to the point, like I've done more research on catching on a knee down than I've done research on not. I'll put it that way. I've done more research because I'm like, am I missing something? Am I having a blind spot? Am I messing up? Am I not? So now I've had to learn how to teach that stuff too um, because I got Ryan. Right. That's one of my dudes. I got to get Ryan right. I got to get him ready to get paid. I got to help him. If something happens to anybody in my organ in the organization, I got to help that that man take care of his family. In turn, we'll, we'll win some games, but I need to help him take care of his family because that's important. Well, is your hand tired yet? What did I tell you? Incredible passion and insight about the old versus the new. Huge shout out to Eddie. That episode could have lasted about three hours. Unfortunately for us, Eddie had to get up the next morning to hop on his boat to go fishing. Thanks again to all of you for listening. There's a busy week ahead for the crew. We're excited to have on Mariners legend Dan Wilson, 15-year big league standout Jason Kendall, and perhaps one of the best receivers in the game today, Max Stasi. Again, thanks to all of you for listening. Please stay safe, stay tuned, and we'll catch you real soon.